Hey, it's Matt Bowles. If you want to hang out with me in person, I'm going to be at the Latino Travel Fest in Elizabeth, New Jersey, May 31st to June 2nd. And I've got a 15% discount for you to join me. Just go to themaverickshow.com slash Latino. That's L-A-T-I-N-O. There you're going to see your 15% discounted ticket. There are going to be multiple guests from The Maverick Show attending, so you'll be able to hang out with all of us in person. You do not need to be Latino in order to attend Everyone is welcome. Again, get your discounted ticket at themaverickshow.com slash Latino. And as soon as you do, send me a DM on Instagram at Matt Bowles Maverick. Let me know that you're coming so that we can make plans to link up in person. And now here's a clip of what's coming up on today's episode. If you stand right in the middle you can look all around and you will see nothing but just white, no, no mountains, nothing, just white. And then this really strong blue sky, right? So it just feels totally surreal. And in the middle of the, those salt flats, suddenly there's this little island that pops up, just this little like island full of cacti, full of these massive cacti, right? And that's just one of the, the absolutely like crazy scenes. It, it just feels like you're not on earth. Today's most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers. And learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey, everybody, it's Matt Bowles. Welcome to the Maverick Show. My guest today is Diego Bejarano Garca. He is the co founder and CEO of Wi Fi Tribe, a close knit work and travel community of entrepreneurs, freelance consultants, and remote professionals that slow travel the world together while working online. The community currently has over 800 members from 50 different nationalities who join Wi-Fi Tribe's co-living houses for a month at a time in 40 cities around the world. When you join Wi-Fi Tribe, you get to choose how many month-long chapters you want to participate in during the year, pick and choose your locations from multiple concurrent options, hop between continents if you want, and curate your own custom itinerary. The group size of each chapter is usually 12 to 25 people who have all been brought together based on shared values. Diego personally interviewed over 1,000 remote professionals to form the Wi-Fi tribe community. And Diego has lived in 23 countries in just the last four years alone, traveling around with Wi-Fi tribe. He speaks five languages, and he is here today coming at us from Romania. Diego, welcome to the show. Hey, Matt, thank you very much for having me. Man, I am so excited to have you on the show. I have known your co-founder, Julia, for probably two years now, I want to say at least. We see each other all the time at different Nomad events, and uh, I'm super excited. I wanted to get you on the show for for so long, man. So it's so good to have you here. So I am currently today, we are not in person, unfortunately. Otherwise, I would have bought you a bottle of wine, my friend. Yeah, I was saying I missed out. 
<laughs> well, next time, as soon as we meet up, we'll make up for that for sure. But I'm actually doing a swing through the United States right now. So I am in Asheville, North Carolina today. And you are you in uh, Bucharest or where are you in Romania? Um, I'm actually in Cluj in Romania. It's, uh, it's kind of like the up and coming uh, tech part here. Awesome. Awesome, man. Cool. Well, let's start back, Diego, just a little bit with your story, because I know you have a really interesting upbringing, and I would love for you to sort of take us through that and talk about how your love and appreciation for travel came about through your upbringing. Yeah, sure thing. Uh, yeah, it's, I think it's a little bit unconventional. So when, when I was a, a kid, I was, I was probably about one year old, we moved uh, out of Germany. My mom's German, my, my dad's Bolivian. And we moved over to Latin America. So I think the first country we went to was Venezuela. And then we would just keep moving from country to country every like two to three years. So I spent most of my time in, I think most of my time in Latin America and a good portion of it also in uh, in Europe. First uh, Venezuela, then Mexico. Spent, I think, two years in, in the States. This is all before school still. Um, and then I started school and we went back to Venezuela for the second time. After that, we lived in, in Oman of all places. And yeah, after that, then we went over to, to Norway. I ended up uh, studying briefly in Germany, dropped university there again, and decided to finish up studying in the UK. And so that was like the first part of my, my life was just, uh, yeah, just a, a ton of moving around. Right. And so now when my parents say that I have to get a real job, I always just, just tell them, all right, you guys have yourselves to blame. <laughs> Bro, I'm still going here. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing, man. So when you reflect back on that and you think about that upbringing and how that shaped you, can you talk a little bit about your concept of home and what does the concept of home mean to you given that background? Sure. Yeah. That's a really good question. So I think one thing that became apparent is that I would get into a place and I think as a kid, probably I'd struggle a lot more with this. And I still remember like when I went to, to Oman, that transition was pretty tough. At first, I was really excited to go to a new place, but then arriving there, it always sucks, right? You're always sitting there being like, all right, I have to start everything from scratch and meet people again. Um, but I think you kind of like train yourself up then as a kid. And yeah, that's, that's kind of shifted the way that I understand what home is, right? Because I never really had an actual an actual home, like a physical home that would be the same. Um, the only thing that was kind of consistent, I mean, obviously the family, right? And that's, that is super, super important for kids to have that kind of stability. Um, but I think the other thing that was consistent was just the kind of environment that I found myself in. So the type of people, right? And that was usually international schools, just because, you know, there are a bunch of kids that had to kind of like live in this, in the same kind of expat uh, lifestyle kind of way. Um, and so I think that this environment of just people from all kinds of different nationalities created almost almost like a subculture, right? A culture that didn't really it didn't really fit in in any one specific country, but it felt kind of like its own thing. And I would only realize a lot later, actually after starting Wi-Fi Tribe, that that was what made me feel like home. And when I thought about it, I was like, oh, okay, it kind of makes sense because like when, whenever I was in, in Germany, surrounded by Germans, and I'm, I'm half German, half living again. I would feel like I wouldn't quite fit into that environment, right? There was just the way that people communicated, the small, subtle, you know, the small jokes, the just all the things that were part of that culture, like so ingrained, things that you had to grow up with. I wouldn't know all of those, right? I wouldn't pick up on all of those. It's almost like, uh, like when you're in a, you know, you just join a group of people and, and they've already formed strong bonds. There are these inside jokes. It's almost like an, an entire country has these inside jokes, right? And, and you don't 
really know about them, right? It just takes time to develop those. And the same would be what happened if I was in, a, in an environment with, say, for example, people from, from Bolivia, right? I'd, I'd feel very much the same way. But then whenever I got into this international environment, uh, for some reason, it was like we all understood each other on the, on the same kind of level. And then the first time I really realized this was um, probably about, I don't know, six months into when we, when we started Wi-Fi Tribe. It was in Croatia, and I was just wondering why, like, why have, of all places on earth, Croatia felt, you know, comfortable. Yeah, and I just, I just realized that it was because of the type of people that we were living with in that moment. It was people from, you know, from all over the world, and that just, you know, recreated that environment that I'd grown up with. So yeah, I realized home doesn't really matter that much. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I want to also go deeper on the, you mentioned that you're half Bolivian. And I want to ask you to talk about your connection with Bolivia and also what, you know, what Bolivia means to you, what it's like in Bolivia as well. What is Bolivia like for people that have never been? Because I will tell you, it is probably my number one recommendation that I make to people and the entire continent of South America. And I think it is probably the most, in my opinion, underrated place on the entire continent. And when people go there, I think the experience is so uniquely spectacular because they didn't quite expect it. Like when you go to Machu Picchu, you expect it to be extraordinary, and it is, right? But when you go to Bolivia, you know, I went there with a group of probably eight people, and we went for about eight nights, and people went in not knowing exactly what to expect, and like all of our minds were just completely blown. I mean, it was unbelievable. And when I talk to Wi-Fi tribe participants, you know, I hear that your Bolivia trip, especially when people go with you when you're there, uh, you know, it's like this legendary, you know, sort of Wi-Fi tribe experience that, that everybody wants to do at some point in their Wi-Fi tribe experience. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, your connection with Bolivia, what it means to you, and just describe the country there for people that haven't been? I'm, I'm so happy that you have that kind of experience in Bolivia. That's awesome. And I think that a lot of people have that kind of opportunity because it's exactly what you're saying. Bolivia is definitely underrated as a travel uh, destination. There are similarities with Peru, right? But the big, big, big difference is that Bolivia has no idea how to do marketing, whereas Peru absolutely nailed marketing, right? And that means that you're going to have very few tourists in the country, but also that nobody, you know, people don't really know what they're going to get when they go through. Right. So it's kind of like the, the, the people that find out about Bolivia are the ones who are like, oh, OK, look, I'll give it a try. Let's see what's over there. And then they're like, oh, wow, there's there's a lot of stuff. I, I really didn't expect it. Right. To describe it as a travel destination, especially if I'm thinking sort of about all the other destinations I've been to, I think Bolivia is yeah, simply put rough around the edges. Right. It's it's not really been travel didn't come in. And then Bolivia said, all right, let me do everything that, that I can to make uh, tourists comfortable here. It's more like Bolivia is Bolivia. And Tourists are welcome to explore it and experience it, but it hasn't been built for us, right? And that's actually, it's fascinating, right? Because you're seeing a country exactly the way that it, that it exists. And yeah, on top of that, it's just, you know, being, being a little bit rough around the edges. To me, Bolivia is just an incredibly adventurous destination. There's a lot of cultural elements, but even those feel very adventurous. And then when it comes to, yeah, just to the things that you can do in Bolivia, it's all about being outdoors, and you've got the the massive salt flats. I think they're the yeah they are the biggest salt flats in the in the world. If you stand right in the middle, you can look all around and you will see nothing but just white. No no mountains, nothing, just white 
and then this really strong blue sky, right? So it just feels totally surreal. And in the middle of the those salt flats, suddenly there's this little island that pops up, just this little like island full of cacti, full of these massive cacti, right? And that's just one of the the absolutely like crazy scenes. It, it just feels like you're not on Earth. It's something so spectacular. And then and that's one side. And then on the other side, you can get to the the Amazon jungle. So big part of Bolivia is the Amazon jungle. Think of it, it's kind of like split into two parts. One is this like super high altitude area. That's where the salt fats are. And then you've got the the mountain range of the Andes that goes between that. And then on the, the other side, you can just imagine the beginning of the Amazon rainforest and the Amazon uh, river that then later flows over into Brazil. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's a little on on Bolivia. Did you what kind of trips did you do when you were out there? Oh, man. So we went into La Paz, which was, first of all, it's just extraordinary. You know, it's a city. It's just built into like the sides of mountains. They have cable cars, right, which blew me away. And not just cable cars, because let's be honest, there's a lot of places in South America where I've ridden cable cars. They're a little bit rickety. You know, <laughs> you, you know, you get get a view. This is like the way that regular people get around. And they were manufactured by the company that built, you know, the Swiss Alps cable cars. I mean, these yeah. are like state of the art, you know, incredible cable cars. And they're taking you around the city and you're just seeing incredible landscape. And, you know, La Paz was just fascinating, I thought, with the witches markets and, you know, the moon valley and, you know, I mean, just landscapes, even in the city, the landscape, even in the city is just incredible. And then we did a mountain bike trip down the world's most dangerous road. Ah, the death road. (laughs) Ah, the death road, which was extraordinary. And, you know, it was amazing. And to be honest with you, Diego, I had a good bit of trepidation leading up to that trip because I'm like, oh, man, it's called the death road. And I haven't ridden a bike in like a really long time, let alone something like this. So I was a little bit trepid about it, you know, to be honest. But then once we got there, we had an amazing guide. You know, they take people down every day. And for folks that don't know, the reason it's called the death road is because it used to be the primary commercial transportation route between different points in Bolivia. And it's a one lane road with no guardrail. And so what used to happen is cars would try to pass each other on a one lane road with no guardrail and a thousand foot drop off during the rainy season. And one of the cars would go right off the road and drop a thousand feet. And and that would be that. And so you had points where up to 300 people a year were dying on this road. But now they have a, a commercial, you know, kind of bypass road highway type of thing. And so, you know, this road is now primarily for, you know, cycling trips and things like that. And so it's quite safe to do, you know, with the guided company and all that kind of stuff. And the scenery was just spectacular. You know, you start up at the top and it's, you know, cold and you're wearing your your hat and your gloves and your jacket and you're at the snow-capped mountains. And then you descend, you know, over the course of the day and going down this road. It's just a downhill ride. So it's not a it's not a strenuous ride. The whole thing is downhill. And you descend, I think, 10,000 feet. And so as you go down, you know, it's like 60 kilometers or so, you are shedding layers. And by the time you get down, you're in shorts and a t-shirt and a rainforest and you're ready to jump in the lake. I mean, it was like unbelievable. That's exactly it. Yeah. You know, where, where can you just bike down and, and see the vegetation change from, you know, literally what, 4,000 meters or 5,000 even almost meters altitude of snowy peaks to, to rainforest? That's absolutely nuts. Surreal. It was spectacular. The scenery was insane. And then after La Paz, we went over to Cochabamba specifically to see the street art. 
That's literally why we went. It's rated as one of the top 10 street art cities in South America. And we literally were able to find a street art bicycle tour that was available before we decided to go there. We're like, okay, if this tour is available, we're going for this tour. Because <laughs> I got a bunch of people that love street art. And so we went over there and what a total, you know, totally different type of city Cochabamba is from La Paz. I mean, it almost looked like San Diego. You know, it felt like you're in a completely different place. It was amazing. We went there and then we went down to Ayuni and did the Salt Flats. Which, you know, when I and when I recommend it to people, I make sure that I recommend don't just go and see the actual salt flats, but go on a minimum of a three night tour. Yes, absolutely. And there you will be going out and seeing, you know, rainbow colored mountains and red colored lagoons and like all, you know, volcanic rock formations that you can hike around. It literally felt like we were on a different planet every single day. Like you woke up and you're like this feels like a different planet. I had never seen landscape like that ever. Yeah, that's exactly it. And then, you know, the first time that we did that trip, we went for the one day thing. And I, I had done the three day trip, I think already twice before that. And after doing it, I realized, oh, I think we made a big mistake. So um, yeah, guys, definitely take Matt's word for that. Go for the three day trip. You're you're going to see absolutely crazy things. And you basically rent out this Jeep. You know, if there's a group of you, you can, you can just have a Jeep to yourselves. And you will literally just drive in this Jeep for hours and hours and hours just through these insane desert landscapes, right? The first day is, is the salt flats, but then the next day you're seeing absolutely crazy destinations. It's really, really worth it. For sure. Yeah. I, I've never seen landscape like that. And so it's literally my top, you know, South America recommendation. And anybody tells me they go into the continent, they say, well, in your itinerary, make sure you go to Bolivia and make sure you go for at least a week and, and do these things. So I'm letting people know anybody that comes across, you know, has a conversation with me about it. Uh, I definitely steer them there. So that's awesome, man. So let's transition a little bit now and talk about the co-founding of Wi-Fi Tribe. So I've been, you know, traveling the world full time with no base since 2013. And when I left, there was no, you know, I started traveling, there was no work travel programs, anything like that, you know, nothing in the space at all. And I know you've obviously been traveling for for quite some time as well. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, just the founding of Wi-Fi Tribe and, you know, why you started it and explain what Wi-Fi Tribe is and the value that it offers? Yeah, for sure. So let's see, that that goes back to the end of, of 2015 for me. That's, that's about four, four and a bit years ago. I'd basically been working on a bunch of different startups at that point and was... Uh, was just pretty pretty fed up. It was different startup projects. None of them really uh, worked out, and I'd been I've been doing that for quite a few years. And so the whole time I was just thinking about, oh, all right, look, if if you work really hard today, uh, you know, t- tomorrow's going to be great. It's that whole idea of like gr- grind hard so that you can you know you can build a better future. But you know, without sort of any time to to do any of the social stuff, and you know, even my my, my own personal professional network was suffering from that. No travel really. Like it, it was literally just let's see if we can get things to work. So when I got to the, you know, the fourth startup that wasn't working out, I just told myself, look, whatever's going to happen next, I'm going to fix the lifestyle thing first. And once I've managed to, to fix that, then I can go back and see if I want to actually, uh, you know, potentially do another startup project. Right. So basically wrote off startups for a while. Right. And, 
yeah, first thought on my mind was just like, okay, well, what is it exactly that I've been missing over the last years? Well, first of all, it was it was the idea that okay, I was you know I'm I'm getting older and I'm sort of like missing that that, that age where most people tend to start traveling because they have a lot more freedom, right? And so I said, all right, travel is definitely a lot, one of them, and that's always been important to me. The other one is is people, right? I really didn't have much of that social uh, network, so I wanted to just be. Yeah, surrounded by people that inspired me, just, you know, curious, passionate people, people that you can just strike up a conversation with, learn from, right? That kind of thing. Basically what we're all looking for. And then the third element was that I wanted to be able to keep working as I was doing all of that, right? So I was kind of looking at it as more of a, yeah, more of a long-term sustainable thing rather than just uh, just hopping in and out of those different stages of life. So the only way that that, that could really work out for all those things to come together was basically what we're doing now, right? Like it just, it was just naturally the only thing that we could do. So seeing as we had that house in, in Bolivia, right? We have this house that's uh, 30 minutes outside of the city of La Paz. So it's actually like, it, it just feels like you're just in the mountains out there. Um, there's nothing else. And then as you turn a few corners around a few mountains, suddenly La Paz is there. So that will, you know, why, why not see if I can spend some time there? It's not going to cost me anything. In the meantime, I'm going to get my myself sort of set up as a, as a freelancer, right? And I've done a lot of marketing in the startups in the past. So I thought, well, that's that's a transferable skill. I'd like to see if I can uh, use that for this, right? And then to work out the people part, I decided to just email probably about 100 friends and just ask them, hey, you know, would you like to come along to Bolivia with me? Look, ideally, if you've got some work to do, take it along. We can just work from there. That's kind of what I'm planning to do. And in the weekends, you know, I can show you around basically my home country, right? And show you all those places that we, that we literally just talked about. That was basically, you know, the simple version of it. And one of those people that, that I reached out to was Julia. So that's the person that you've met my co-founder. You've actually met her way before we got in touch. And she had been at that point already living in South Africa for quite a while while working remotely. So she just thought that this whole idea was, a, you know, a really cool thing. And she was in right away. And then we met up and, and started sort of talking about it and realized, okay, maybe, you know, we can, we can set this up a little bit more like with a few more people because, you know, not that many people were, were remote when I asked my list of sort of hundred emails that I sent out. So we set up a, a quick website. I think this must've been three weeks before we went out to Bolivia. So it was a super simple Squarespace website and grabbed that link, posted it in a few digital nomad groups. And yeah, that was it. Then uh, a few weeks later, we we arrived in Bolivia, and you know that was super super bare bones. At that point, again, Bolivia is not known for great internet, and you can imagine four years ago it had really really bad internet. And our house, thirty minutes outside the city, even more difficult, right? So that was kind of like our first experience there. Later, we we set up this insane network of like you know radio wave antenna stuff to to get internet from the city out over into the house. It's the most expensive internet setup we've ever done anywhere, but it's worth it because now we had better speeds out there than anywhere else in the city, right? But yeah, that was a, a big challenge that we had to overcome at first. But also that first group of people, you know, it was, it was for free. It was literally just friends come over, let's have fun. Um, the idea wasn't let's build a business out of this. It was literally just, look, I need to change my lifestyle because it really sucks, right? And then as we were out there, we were surprised to see, you know, just how many people were interested in this concept. And we'd already seen some ads go around that Remote Year had been putting out there. And Remote Year at that point was the only other organization that was um, doing month-long stays uh, for people working remotely. There were a few other organizations that were doing like these, you know, a week or two week long uh, retreats, but they were really just mostly retreats. They weren't a lifestyle kind of thing. 
right? And so seeing some of those ads, we realized, well, okay, maybe Facebook ads works, right? And that's something that I had been literally just learning as I was doing my, my whole freelance thing for what, three months or so before, before kicking off this, this little project. Yeah. And so we put some ads out there and um, said, all right, next location, let's see where, where we're going to go next. We thought, mm, how about Costa Rica? Sounds like a, like a beautiful place, right? And so we were looking for houses in Costa Rica. We zoomed out a little bit, zoomed out a bit more. Uh, and suddenly we found like this, this stunning place, right? And we're like, all right, that's got to be it. This place is just so good. It works out price-wise. We can make this happen, right? It was right on the beach. Well, actually on, the, on this like cliff. So you had this infinity pool that was just overlooking the ocean. Absolutely stunning, right? Turns out it wasn't Costa Rica. It was in Nicaragua. So our second chapter ever was, uh, was Nicaragua. And that was it. We just promoted that through Facebook ads. And I will say that I think the only reason that this whole thing worked out is because we figured that one little piece out. Without Facebook ads, I, I don't think we would have even been able to start this. But yeah, since then, we, we pretty much just added another chapter every month. You know, it was very much like a, a, a very organic, like on a rolling basis kind of thing. You know, we'd ask the people that were there on the chapter with us, hey guys, where do you want to go? What do you think is exciting? Uh, we'd put ideas out there. You know, people would say, oh, what about this place, that place? And so bit by bit, our itinerary was just forming as we were moving along, right? So like a super, super organic thing. That's awesome, man. And Maverick Show listeners know that I've interviewed a number of Wi-Fi Tribe members on this podcast who have described their experience. Danielle Thompson actually went to the Nicaragua house and described her whole experience with that. And uh, Marissa Medin has extensively described her experience with Wi-Fi Tribe. And a number of my interviewees have subsequently done Wi-Fi Tribe chapters, Sean Tierney and Ben Lakoff and, and other people. So Maverick Show listeners are definitely familiar with, you know, a lot of your Wi-Fi Tribe members and their experiences. And I want to actually take this opportunity to ask you, Diego, about the significance of the name and specifically the word tribe. Can you talk about what the word tribe means to you, why you chose that and why that is so important? Yeah, yeah, great question. So the focus for, for Wi-Fi Tribe since the beginning has always been community, right? W what we wanted to create was something that, that was always going to be super tight-knit. And, and so one of the rules that we set early on was, all right, we're, we're going to limit it to, to max 25 people on a, on a chapter, right? And that's because previously, I've been doing this other startup, and, and we ran these trips. One year, we ran a trip to, to Ibiza it was for a week. There were 20, I think, three members. And the next year, we ran it with 40. And we just thought it was going to be, you know, even better because the more the merrier, right? But we realized that the, the second time when we did that, somehow people just didn't connect in the same way, right? And instead of it breaking down to maybe two groups of, you know, 20, it ended up breaking down into groups of like two here, five there, three there, four here, right? So the entire, the entire experience was this really like, you know, broken down, fragmented kind of setting. So that was the, that was the first component, right? And tribe to me as a, as a word, it does two things. First of all, it really does focus us on what this is ultimately all about, right? This is about, about human connection and a tribe is typically seen as a, you know, as a, as a small collection of people living together, right? And that's exactly what we are. And the second part that I really like about it is that it makes us think back to, you know, the time when we actually were part of tribes, right? What's the, the saying, you know, birds flock, fish school and, and, and humans tribe. It is literally a, it is just the way that we come together. And to remember that that used to be thousands and thousands of years, tens of thousands of years, that was the default way of living for us. And then in this tiny space of time, you know, society just exploded 
And with that explosion of society, you had these, you'd started to have towns, then you had cities. And in, in the small space of time, suddenly we, we were in these, in these mega cities where it was really just us as total individuals living in this crazy mass of people, but with absolutely no connection to anyone around us. Right. And the big deal here is that as humans, as a species, we didn't adapt to become that. You know, we, it moved so quickly that there was no way that anything genetically could have changed that would have said, all right, this is exactly how we need to live. We were still programmed to need what a tribe gives us, right? What we used to get a few thousand years ago, right? But it's just changed so fundamentally. So it's to us, it's, it's just a reminder that that human element is ultimately what we all look for in just... I want to take just one minute out to let you know that in addition to hosting The Maverick Show, I am also the co-founder of Maverick Investor Group, a real estate brokerage that helps you buy turnkey rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets from anywhere. So these are single family homes sometimes two to four unit properties, and they're either brand new or fully renovated, and they already have tenants and local property management in place. So you get all the benefits of owning the deeded real estate, that physical house, the hard asset, without the headaches of being the landlord or the rehabber or needing to live near the property. So I wanna offer you a free consultation if that sounds interesting to you. To learn more about it, you can just go to themaverickshow.com slash consult. And now, back to the episode. In life, right? Whatever we do, ultimately, that's what it boils down to. And can you talk a little bit about the Wi-Fi Tribe community itself? Who participates in Wi-Fi Tribe? How do you curate that community? Who is it right for? What types of people participate in the program? Sure. Yeah. So we basically have a set of values that we've decided, all right, this is going to be the basis upon which we're going to make any decisions of bringing somebody into the community, right? And the basic belief there is just that just think about, you know, someone that you've met while you were traveling and they might have been from somewhere halfway across the world. And for some reason, you just connected with them instantly, right? Compare that to maybe your next door neighbor from back home who, for some reason, you just don't have that kind of connection. I feel that it boils back down to, to those core values, right? If you have those core values in common, you're much more likely to connect with someone. So that's our, that's, you know, that was the basis of all of that because we did want people to be able to come together from all corners of the world, right? But we had to figure out what would they have in common. So that's really the important part. Obviously there's, you know, more like specific things that people need to bring in. One of them is that everybody has to come with work. That's really just a requirement because we all need to be on the same page, right? We need to know that everybody else is going to be here working productively, not distracting us. And at the same time, if someone doesn't have much work, um, they'd be joining and, and they'd be bored, right? Because everybody else does have this, this amount of time that they have to um, dedicate to their work, right? And then the, the other expectation that we have of, of everyone joining is just that people get involved, that they participate, that they basically co-create their own experience, right? And we found that the more that people have done that, the more that people have basically given sort of parts of themselves to that experience, the better the experience has been and the more cohesive the entire community has been, right? So that's really what we optimize on site. The other kind of person that typically comes to, to Wi-Fi Tribe or seeks us out is the kind of person that's just a little bit more comfortable 
uh, with traveling. It's not absolutely necessary, but we, for example, don't organize flights, right? So there's certain things that if someone really would want all the logistics taken care of, um, there's other organizations out there that might make that part a little bit easier for you um, because they literally say, okay, look, all these things are done. You just have to put yourself into that program. Right. For us, there's a lot of people who have done a lot of traveling before mixed in with uh, with a bunch of people who are doing it for the first time. Right. So it's more of like a pure learning kind of um, setup. Yeah. And yeah, that's that's really the main focus. Apart from that, all kinds of different professions. Um, I would say sort of the, the most common five professions are, uh, let's see if I can remember them all. There's marketers, there's writers. So that's more like, you know, copywriters, editors, there's designers, uh, developers. And another really big portion of the community is entrepreneurs. And then literally you know, anything else that you can imagine people being able to work on remotely is that long tail. So anything from we've had electronic musicians to professional poker players, literally a, a brain surgeon who was there doing a specific study while he was on chapter. Right. Um, so yeah, as for professions, it really doesn't matter. Awesome. Can you talk and expand a little bit on that? And let me ask you just about the concept of diversity. What does diversity mean to Wi-Fi tribe? How important it is, is it for you? And what if anything, do you do to intentionally cultivate it? Yeah, great question. I, th- I think diversity is actually a big challenge for um, a lot of us organizing these kind of communities. Because unfortunately, as of right now, it's the it's really the U.S. and Canada that has such an abundance of remote job opportunities, and the rest of the world is really lagging behind on that. Right? Even even Europe, even even Germany. So that's a part that I think, first of all, we can all try to contribute to, see how we can help more people find a path into uh, maybe starting off on a, uh, starting off as freelancers, for example, to be able to set that remote um, work up for themselves. But yeah, as it comes to, to diversity, we've been trying to bring together a more diverse community over the last years. Part of that means that when we get to a point on a chapter where the chapter is, is almost full, we will set aside a few spots within a chapter and aim to fill those spots to balance out the community there. And that can either be a gender balance in case that's necessary, but usually that's quite well balanced. And it can also be a diversity balance, right? And of course, there's also the the professional diversity, but that's really not, uh, not a big issue because that's quite widespread. So let me ask you this, Diego. I travel the world with a number of friends of mine who are people of color, and we have pretty candid conversations about the nomad space and work travel programs and different things like that. And, you know, a lot of times I will get feedback in general that, you know, from people of color that say, "Mm, you know, I'm not sure if, you know, XYZ program or experience would be something that I would be comfortable doing. You know, I'm not sure if I'd feel, you know, safe and comfortable and, you know, all of that in this program, you know, just based on, you know, the demographic that I perceive is, you know, the primary demographic in that program. And I'm wondering, you know, what would Wi-Fi Tribe say to people of color that are listening in terms of, you know, just describing the experience and, you know, is Wi-Fi Tribe a safe and comfortable space for people of color? Is that a priority of the community? And how would you sort of address those concerns? Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Great question. So that that does seem to be a challenge because we've seen that just in, in the communities, there is unfortunately a small representation of people of color. What we've tried to do at Wi-Fi Tribe is to bring in hosts who represent those different demographics, right? So currently there is, for example, one of our hosts is from Lima, from Peru. She has much more of a native Peruvian background, right? And another one of our hosts is from the UK. She's uh, also a person of color. And 
we're hoping that by having the sort of the leadership figures of the chapters be representing those demographics, that it just feels more comfortable to be on a chapter, right? And that over time, hopefully that then turns into more people joining, more people of color joining, and that just balancing out a little bit more. And then same question for, I mean, in terms of women, in terms of GLBT community, that sort of stuff, you know, in terms of how you're creating the community. And then if somebody on a Wi-Fi tribe chapter happened to feel, you know, uncomfortable, whether it be a woman or a person of color or a GLBT person, you know, by, let's say, someone else in the community, you know, or that kind of stuff. Is there a mechanism for, you know, once that person's on the chapter, if something happens or, you know, they feel that something inappropriate happened or they're just not feeling safe or comfortable for some reason and they come to you, is there a way for Wi-Fi Tribe to, you know, redress that? How would Wi-Fi Tribe handle a situation like that if someone happened to feel that way? Oh, yeah. Perfect. Absolutely. So in those situations, it ultimately boils back down to one thing, right? And that's respect. It's one of the primary values that we have as a pillar for the community. Uh, and we use it really for, for a lot of things, right? It's one of the things that we use to bring people into the community. But we've also used it a lot when we've had to say to people, look, this kind of behavior is not okay. This is not, it's, it's not respectful, right? We've even had to use it on two instances instances where we've decided to remove two members from the community while they were on chapter, right? So that does boil down to that part. There's always a host from the team on chapter. So we're always there just to make sure that those kind of uh, situations can be dealt with, with somebody to to mediate them. And if it comes to it, to actually take those those actions and make those decisions, right? We also do have a, there's a, an anonymous feedback form that we send out at the end of every chapter. And one of the first uh, questions that we put in that feedback form is we ask members to have a look again at the values that we've put forward for the community and let us know if they feel that anybody in the community, um, because, you know, sometimes things don't come up when you're actually on chapter. You just don't mention them, but they still happen and you still feel that it wasn't right. Right. So um, we, we make it easy for people to tell us there to give us, give us that anonymous feedback. And we asked them if they felt that anybody specific in the community wasn't living by the values that we had put forward, right? And if we hear the same thing about the same person from, from a few different people, that's when we'll take action. And if it's a serious situation, we will remove that person from the community, right? So in the space of the last four years, as the community has grown, and this is this especially happened in the first two, two up to three years, we've removed, I think, either 50 or 60 people so far. Right. So there's both a constant effort to filter people in by the right values, but at the same time, also filter people out. Right. And I mean, yeah, it's a it's a I guess a more general answer to that specific case. But to me, it really is ultimately a matter of respect. If someone can't respect someone else because of whatever differences, right, no matter what those differences are or what they're based on, it just doesn't work. Right. That's just not okay. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that, Diego. I think that's really, really important because as these work travel communities get bigger and larger and more people become in, you know, come into them, there are going to be instances like that. And I think having that mechanism in place, like you've said there, I think that's super, super important. So I really appreciate you breaking that down and sharing that. Let me now also ask you just, you know, in terms of the nomad lifestyle and the work travel itinerant lifestyle when people are changing their physical locations, changing their accommodations on a regular basis. I want to just ask for your tips on how to maintain a productive working lifestyle 
and also how to balance the excitement of, you know, the new place that you're in with, you know, needing to be productive at work. So any tips you have on that would be fantastic. Yeah. Let's see. So I think the top tip that I'd have for for everyone is to get yourself some noise canceling headphones. <laughs> that is, I love them for three reasons. First of all, they cancel noise, right? So they let you focus. Secondly, when you put them on, especially if you get the big ones, right? I'd suggest get the big ones, not the in-ear ones. When you put them on, you're signaling to everybody else around you that you are right now, you know, busy working that you're, that it's focus time for you, right? And for the third reason is that Every time that I put my noise canceling headphones on, because I always put them on when I'm about to get started with work, it's almost like I am conditioning myself to be productive the moment that I put them on. So to me, just this one little gadget almost feels like kind of like the office that I can just pack in my bag and take with me wherever I go, right? It's a way that I can control my environment and and just condition myself for productivity, Right. There's other tools like you can, you know, you can get yourself one of those laptop stands. I'm actually using it right now as we're talking. Um, that just lifts up your laptop a little bit, makes you make sure that your your posture is good, and that usually comes with a, one of those add-on keyboards. I think those things are incredibly useful as well. But yeah, that's definitely the most important one to me. And the other thing that I would suggest is that you figure out a small routine, right? Even if it is, I don't know, it can be 10 minutes, 20 minutes. The most important part is that you actually start really, really small. And if you want to grow it out, um, you add a few more things to it. So I've got a routine now that goes up to almost almost an hour every morning. And it's just a sequence of different things I do, right? So it starts with just with a, with some warm, warm-up exercises. Then I'll go into doing just a few few different muscle groups. But it's all um, workouts that I can do from anywhere, right? You know, no weights, nothing, just that I can take it with me and it's always the same. Then I move on to meditation, stretching, and uh, all of that ends in a cold shower, and then I get my my day started. Right? Again, that's something that allows me to anchor myself into a routine that I can do no matter where I am in the world. Right? And what automatically happens when you anchor yourself is that as soon as you trigger that routine, the beginning of that routine, the rest of your day is is pretty much set. Right? As soon as I trigger the warm up exercise, I know what's next. This exercise, then I know what's next. You know, at some point I get to the shower, then I know what's next and I'm sitting at my laptop and I've, and I've started to work, right? This is how you can condition yourself to get the most out of, uh, out of every day, even if everything around you is changing. I think that's awesome. I think having anchors that are not fixed to a specific geographic location that can move with you, I think that's super, super important. Can you expand a little bit on your, you know, productivity techniques throughout the day? right? You obviously run a business. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, how do you structure your workday to be as productive as possible, right? So you mentioned the morning routine, but then what else do you do, you know, throughout the day? And also, how do you balance your work with, you know, doing fun, cool, exciting stuff in all these neat places? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Another great one is, especially because for a very long time, I, well, I mean, I, I literally was just hosting a chapter now in, in January in, in Mexico. And I've been, I think I hosted eight chapters out of the 10 chapters that we did last year. Right. So I've, I've been very active on the ground that, that obviously takes up a lot of time. And it's not just the time that you're sitting, that you're, that you're there actually actioning things and, and working on uh, chapter related things. It's also all of that extra time that you're spending, you know, in the afternoons, um, just all the social time, which is time that I, I love to spend. But um, you have to bear in mind that you're going to be a lot more socially active when, when you're on a chapter. So for me, the best way to set up a, a day productively on a chapter 
is that I'll try to get up pretty early so that I can do my routine pretty much before anybody else gets up and gets out and start my day before people are walking around. One of the reasons that that helps me a lot personally is that um, in the morning, people typically have just, you know, you're waking up, you, you know, you have a quick chat here, a quick chat there. And when there's, when there's a number of us, you can quickly get pulled into a few little conversations. If it's very important that you're productive right away, I'd recommend um, doing something like that just so that you're the one who's in control of your own time. Right. Apart from that, as the day goes by, I don't have very specific structures that I follow, but I've just started recently to get into, there's a book uh, titled Deep Work, and it just has some very interesting concepts about how to take aside time for, there's kind of like two different types of work, right? right? One, one is what they label deep work and the other one is shallow work. Um, deep work is the kind of work that you do not want to be interrupted in, right? Um, just because of that, that idea that if you pull yourself out of, say, for example, deep programming work, it will take you, you know, 10, 15 minutes to get your mind back to the level of thinking that you had when you were right before you got pulled out of it. Right. And that's what really kills your productivity. Shallow work, on the other hand, is stuff like, you know, answering emails, basically all that multi multitasking stuff where you can just jump from one task over to the other. Right. So really figuring out how you can set aside time in the day and deep work. You typically want to be doing anywhere between an hour and two hours of work at a time where nobody's going to pull you out. Right. Again, this is where the, the headphones come in. That helps a lot. And as long as you can do a few of those sessions, maybe aiming at, at two probably max three sessions a, a day of deep work, um, then you know that you're going to be moving things forward. And if you see that over a long period of time, you're not able to get these deep work sessions in, you will quickly notice that your productivity is going to start dropping. Right? The other thing that I've done recently, and this this for me, I think has been the probably the most impactful thing, uh, specifically when it comes to actually running a business while, while traveling, that I started meticulously time tracking, right? I'm time tracking right now, but absolutely everything, every, every single task that I do, categorizing those tasks and even to the point where I'm tracking, you know, breaks and, and all the other little things that I have. I then use that to, I've built up my own Excel spreadsheet for that. And then, then I use that to understand where my time goes, right? And I've already identified a number of um, areas where I realize that if I keep on investing my time in this way, I am going to slow the company down because I need to invest my time into something else that's going to move us forward a little bit more quickly, right? So it's just back to that old idea of if you can't measure it, you can't track it, and then you can't improve. Awesome. Let me ask you one more question that I get asked a lot about the nomad lifestyle, and I want to get your take on it. People ask me about finding love as a nomad. How do relationships work in a location-independent, itinerant lifestyle. Any input or tips or advice that you have on that, Diego? Oh, that's an awesome one, yeah. So I wouldn't know how to find love in this kind of lifestyle because I've been my girlfriend now for, oh, she's going to kill me if I get it wrong. I'm, I'm going to say seven years. It's been a long time. So basically, before we started this whole thing, we were already together. But interestingly, she worked at a different company, Rome. Actually, in case you've, you've heard about it, Rome is, so it's not we Rome, it's, it's uh, Rome that the location that had sort of, or the company that had several permanent locations. And that meant that she was kind of like semi-nomadic. She had to be on site when they were setting up those spots. And then when she didn't have to be on site, um, she would come and join me as we were traveling around the world. As much as I, it looks like I have a remote job or a location independent job, for the last four years, my job actually wasn't location independent um, because I had to be on the chapters that we were running, right? Um, so that made it a little bit more difficult for us at that point. My recommendation for people trying to find love in this kind of lifestyle, let's see, 
the challenging part is, is finding a partner who has that same lifestyle. So what you, you probably want to do is put yourself into uh, different situations where you're more likely to find those kind of people, right? Um, whether that is joining co-working spaces and there, I'd really recommend to join co-working spaces with really active communities, right? Because it's one thing to just go to a co-working space and another thing to really have an active community around it. Um, the Dojo in Bali is a, is a fantastic example of a very active community, right? Another example is obviously something like what we're doing. Um, there's something called Nomad Soulmates, right? And they're literally building an app for people who are uh, traveling, working remotely and who are single and want to find a partner, find love. Right. Um, so there are a few of those those different things out there that'll just make it more likely for you to uh, to meet somebody. But ultimately, I mean, there's, there's probably a few different things that sort of come into that formula of, of making it more likely for somebody to find love. One of them is just to meet enough people. Right. Making sure that you're meeting enough people in this case who are also uh, remote. And the second one is the experiences that you share with those people and your proximity to those people, right? Are you meeting a lot of people on a really superficial level or are you really, really meeting a lot of people? Like, are you, are you connecting with a lot of people? And that just obviously increases your chances. Awesome. Let's change gears a little bit. I want to ask you just sort of from the entrepreneurial perspective as a business owner and as a CEO, Take us behind the scenes a little bit of running Wi-Fi Tribe. How do you manage a fully distributed staff across different continents and time zones? Can you share a little bit of that? Sure. The first thing that comes to mind is you need to find one time that works in every time zone. You need to peg your weekly team meeting to that specific hour, and it just needs to stay there. Right. And then you need to tell your team, guys, I don't care from where you work that, you know, we've got complete freedom. But this this time, there is this one hour um, every week that we all have to be able to make it for calls. Right. Otherwise, it gets incredibly difficult if you have people that are on one side of the world, uh, you know, in San Francisco and then on the other side of the world in, in Japan, for example. And you've got something crazy like, a, I don't know, maybe 15 hour difference. Right. Where it's where 6 a.m. can be can be an 11 p.m right? You have to make sure that everyone is, is in agreement on that one um, time that overlaps. The other part is just putting everything in writing, right? Over, over communication at this point. We use Slack. It's a really common tool. We actually also use that within the community. So we're, we're kind of like using that for two purposes. We've completely stepped out of email because we, so email is really only what we use when we're in contact externally with, with people outside of the team. And that's just because everything that is on Slack is, is visible to everyone else in the team right? It just makes it so much easier for everyone to be in the loop and in the know so that you don't have these, these silos of information that somebody holds onto and that other people don't have access to, right? And then apart from that, probably to try to minimize calls. We used to have a lot of calls and realized that that was taking a lot of time, a lot of energy. You need to really make sure that you focus the time, the little time that we can invest into calls and make sure that you're you get to decisions, you get outcomes from those calls. Awesome. And then do you guys meet in person at periodic intervals? Yeah, yeah. And now that's a perfect example. It is the first time. So the first time that we did that, that was at the beginning of this year, that we managed to bring the whole team together in one location, which is absolutely ridiculous for a company that does this literally every single day for other people, right? But we never managed to, to get ourselves together in one location. And when we did it, we realized, okay, this is absolutely essential. How did we ever, you know, work without this for the last four years. So what we're trying to do now is to build in a, a retreat um, environment, ideally twice a year 
if we can manage it, it could even be four times a year, so potentially once a quarter, so that it feels like this kind of like this this long, longer term sprint where you're you're setting everything up together, you're getting excited together, you're setting up goals, you're um, you're brainstorming all the different things that you're going to be working on, and they say, "All right, guys, now you know, <laughs> spread around the world, do your thing, let's let's get this thing done, right?" And we'll reconvene, you know, in six months' time, and we'll uh, we'll have another conversation. Uh, what happens if you don't? Do these kind of if you don't have these kind of situations where the team can meet each other, is that those relationships just don't really build, right? And I think in order for the team to really want to help each other out, right, to really step up to support each other, which is critical in team dynamics, you need to be able to form that friendship within a team. Awesome, man. And I know that you have overseen the marketing operations of Wi-Fi Tribe since the beginning. And you mentioned that initial sort of Facebook advertising strategy that got you guys off the ground there. I'm wondering now, many, many years later, what types of marketing techniques, and I'll just sort of preface this with Obviously, as business owners, our favorite uh, you know, way to get business is number one, through repeat business, and number two, through referrals of satisfied customers, of course. But in addition to those two, and I know you guys have a lot of both of those, but in addition to those two, what types of marketing techniques are currently working for Wi-Fi Tribe now to get you new customers and in front of your target market? Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. So as for the referrals, that is obviously one of the big, biggest ones, and and you got that spot on. The repeat is another really really important one, and I'll I'll say to that very interestingly. In the first year, we probably only had about fifteen percent, so one five percent of people who would do a chapter coming back for another chapter, right? Which is really really little. And then in the second year, that jumped up to eighty seven percent, right? So there's just this massive massive jump. And in my opinion, Wi-Fi Tribe only really turned into Wi-Fi Tribe as soon as that happened, right? I still know the chapter. It was, it was in, in Lima, in Peru, uh, and, and all those members that went on that chapter and are still you know, traveling with us today, um, they always talk about that, right? And they're, they're, they always say, oh, yeah, we were, we were on the first real one. And that's because this whole thing doesn't exist if we can't see each other again and again and again. That's the whole point, right? If we don't do that, then, then all we really are is, is, is this retreat that exists in one moment in time. And there's no long-term community, no, no idea of long-term, long-term friendships, right? And that's fundamentally not what we are, right? As for what has worked that isn't that, well, Facebook ads were the most important thing for us up until about a year ago, maybe a bit more, a year and a half ago. We suddenly realized that the prices had gone up so much. And that's not just because competitors came in and started uh, advertising a lot, but rather because you've got you know the big companies in the world, the Pepsis, the Coca-Colas, that are able to put insane budgets into Facebook ads. And those, the audience that they're targeting is the same audience that you're targeting, even though you're targeting them for different reasons, right? So that became too expensive to actually work out. But Google ads that in the beginning didn't work out because there was literally no market, right? Nobody was searching for this thing. They suddenly started working out. It took about a year, maybe a year and a half into, uh, into us starting into Wi-Fi Tribe that we realized, okay, now is the time when people are starting to search on Google. So that's, that's definitely a big part of what's working for us right now. And then we've moved a lot of our attention over to partnerships, right? So we're, we're spending a lot of time, a lot of effort right now in nurturing long-term partnerships. We're always excited in, in, to collaborate in any way that we can with other organizations that are, you know, working to help out the same, the same kind of audience. And um, we just believe that that's where we can generate long-term value without having to pay for, you know, every single click. 
I think that makes a lot of sense. So, all right, let's talk about if people are interested in doing Wi-Fi Tribe, how do they get started? What are their options for participation in Wi-Fi Tribe? Right. So there's an application process that everybody has to go through to join the community. It's It's got four steps to it. Uh, and one of those is a um, there'll be an interview. It's typically 30 to 40 minutes long with one of us from the team. As long as all of that goes well, obviously, it's a, it's a two-way thing as well. So we will give everyone the chance to ask a bunch of questions as well so that we, we can re- really figure that fit out on both sides. As long as that all goes well, and the person gets invited to join the community. Um, if they then decide to join, then they have the option of literally joining on any chapter that's available at that time, right? So we don't select specifically per chapter, but rather we have a general selection process that brings people into the community as a whole. And then um, they basically have access to all the locations that we go to. At that point, it's just a matter of finding a place that's available. That's unfortunately recently um, become a little bit more difficult. We used to have people joining a lot more spontaneously on chapters, but now those typically get booked out two, sometimes four months in advance with some crazy locations booking out like uh, nine months in advance or so. So that's one recommendation I have to people is to try to start planning a little bit further in advance as that has just been a general shift. Awesome. So they come in, they join the community, they pay a small fee up front, then they're a member, and then they can choose how many locations they want to go to over the course of the year. They can travel for a full year, six months, three months, one month, whatever it is, they, they pick their number of locations and it's a little bit cheaper if they choose more locations in a single year per location, right? That's it. And then they just get to pick which locations they want to do. So you guys have concurrent, you know, simultaneous options on different continents and people can hop around and just pick the locations that are the most exciting for them and basically curate their own itinerary. And then they'll have a group of Wi-Fi tribe community folks there, whichever one they pick, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. So the more chapters that someone does, obviously the price does go down with that. Um, And we usually have four or five different locations running at the same time. So that'll be across um, the five continents, um, Europe, Africa, Asia, uh, North and South America. Awesome. And then you mentioned the Slack community a minute ago, Diego. I wanted to just expand on that as well. When somebody joins the Wi-Fi Tribe community and they come into it, can you talk about the value of that virtual online Slack community and what that's like? Yeah, for sure. Um, so that's just a space where where all of us can uh, can interact. And we, we join it right in the moment that we join the community. So not even when we're, when we're on chapter for the first time. Um, it's also the tool that we use on chapter to, to organize anything. Um, but when we're off chapter, it, it allows us to, for example, do, you know, do meetups anywhere in the world. What's very typical is that uh, members will get together and, for example, organize uh, little mini trips between the chapters, right? Cause we have a, a gap week between each chapter in South America. For example, people have used it to, to organize, uh, there was a trip to Galapagos Islands. There was a sailing trip. There's actually another sailing trip happening in a, in a few weeks. There's obviously that, you know, the trip to Machu Picchu. Patagonia, right? So all of these, all these dreamy destinations, um, people just throw th- those ideas out there and then get together to, to go on those trips in between, right? And uh, what's actually been really, so there's obviously a bunch of other channels like, you know, jobs, gigs, just conversations around, around different topics, uh, whether it's re- related to remote work or specific, specific professions, right? So all those different things, things exist there. But what's been really interesting to see now is that f- for the first time, a member has taken the tradition that we have within the community, which is we'll meet up every Tuesday to, yeah, just, just to hang out tribal Tuesdays to, to talk about 
basically what we want to do over the weekend, the, you know, the different adventures we want to plan together. But really, more than anything, it's a, it's a social moment where everyone comes together. So this person took that tradition out of a chapter and started to organize this in New York with any tribe member who is in New York on a weekly basis. Right. So now we have those the, that first instance of weekly meetups that are happening outside of chapters. That's so awesome, man. All right, Diego, at this point, are you ready to move in to the lightning round? All right, let's do this. Let's do it. The lightning round. All right, what is one book that has greatly impacted you over the years you'd recommend people check out? Oh, that's definitely Tony Shea's um, Delivering Happiness. Awesome. What is an app or productivity tool that you're currently using that you would recommend? Okay. I love Noisly. It's a uh, basically something that lets you play all kinds of different background sounds uh, and drowns out just about any noise, especially if you've got those lovely noise-canceling headphones. Awesome. What is one travel hack that you can share with folks that you use? Right. I think at this point, I'd say it's going to be the next stand or the roost stand. Uh, something just to lift that, uh, lift up your laptop so that you're making sure that you're not going to ruin your posture. All right, Diego, if you could have dinner with any person that's currently alive today who you've never met before, who would you choose and why? I'm unfortunately going to be really boring and kind of say the same answer. It's going to be Tony Shea. That book has had a massive impact on me. The basic lesson that I got out of it is that you need to put culture first. And in our case, that applies to company culture, but it also applies to the culture within a community. And every decision that I've made around our community and our team has been applying the principles that I've learned from this book. If you could go back in time now, knowing everything that you currently know, and give one piece of advice to your 18-year-old self, what would you say to 18-year-old Diego? Mm, Good question. I would tell 18-year-old Diego to not to start a startup right away, but rather uh, to join a startup company. Awesome. All right. Last two questions are travel related. What are your top three favorite travel destinations you've ever been you'd most recommend people check out? Okay. So super biased, but I'm going to say Bolivia, uh, just so that we can get that out of the way. Uh, Second one's going to be the... There's these islands off the coast of Venezuela in the Caribbean. Absolutely stunning. Put it on your bucket list, but like maybe add like a, I don't know, 20, 50 date to it uh, until the country's stabilized. And then the other destination is going to be the Cocora Valley in Colombia. That is absolutely stunning. Amazing. Is there a name for the Venezuelan islands? How do people find them? Ooh, uh, they're called Chichiribichi. Okay. Cool. We'll we'll put all this stuff in the show notes, folks. So you can just go to one place at themaverickshow.com. We're going to list out the travel destinations and all the other stuff that we talked about. Uh, We're going to have links to everything in one place. So just go to the show notes for this episode. We'll have it all spelled out and, and linked up. All right. Last question, Diego, what are your top three bucket list destinations? These are places you've never been that are the highest on your list you'd most like to see. Right. So I definitely need to go to South Africa. Um, it's one of our destinations, and I just can't believe I haven't been there yet. Everyone's raving about it. I need to go to Australia. And uh, we're going to Hawaii for the first time this year, but I can't make it. So that's the third place on my list. Amazing. Awesome. Diego, this has been amazing having you on the show. I want you to let people know how they can find you, connect with you, follow you on social media, and how they can join the Wi-Fi Tribe community and uh, do a chapter. Right. Perfect. Um, yeah. So you can always find us on wifi tribe.co, right? Not.com.co uh, or just 
look for Wi-Fi Tribe on Google. The same goes for Instagram. It's Wi-Fi Tribe.co. And on Facebook, it's just Wi-Fi Tribe. So that's the easiest way to, to find us. I know we're also going to be adding, I think, the a link to the to the show notes here. So that's another really easy way to get there. And just a, a quick heads up, this is this is really relevant for you guys. We do have a special discount that we're going to be giving out to any of the listeners to the Maverick show. And that's an extra $100 credit that will be credited back um, from that join fee on the person's first chapter after joining, right? So really important, please mention the Maverick show. Awesome, folks. We are going to have the link in the show notes. So just go to themaverickshow.com and just go to the show notes for this episode and your link and how to get that $100 discount on your first Wi-Fi Tribe chapter is going to be right there. Diego, this has been fantastic, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Awesome, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. Really enjoyed it. All right. Good night, everybody. Be sure to visit the show notes page at themaverickshow.com for direct links to all the books, people, and resources mentioned in this episode. You'll find all that and much more at themaverickshow.com. Do you want to learn how to travel the world for a year plus with carry-on luggage only and look good while you're doing it? Go to themaverickshow.com slash packing to see a free recorded webinar and learn exactly how Matt does it. He shows you the luggage he uses, the specific items he packs, and the travel brands he likes most. Even if you're just looking to go on shorter trips, but pack more efficiently and eliminate your checked luggage, you won't want to miss this. You can watch the free recorded webinar at themaverickshow.com forward slash packing. Would you like to get Maverick Investor Group's white paper on real estate investing for digital nomads? How to buy U.S. rental properties from anywhere in the world and finance an epic international lifestyle? Just go to themaverickshow.com slash nomad. The report is totally free and available for you now at themaverickshow.com forward slash nomad.